ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So last week then you remember we were talking about the Quran and the etiquettes that a believer should have regarding the Quran. Today we're going to talk about some of the chapters of the Quran and how some of the chapters have different virtues to other chapters. So we know that the Quran all of it every ayah Every chapter is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In that regard, there is no difference between any of the chapters of the Qur'an, between any of the ayat of the Qur'an. There is no difference between them in terms of the fact that all of them are equal <coughs> as speech of Allah. The difference that arises between them is in terms of the individual meanings of certain ayat or certain chapters of the Qur'an. So for example, there are ayat in the Qur'an that are talking about the names and attributes of Allah. And there are others talking about the mushrikun and the hellfire. The meanings are clearly completely different. So that's what they mean by some of the ayat of the Qur'an or chapters of the Qur'an being more virtuous than others. Not in terms of the fact that all of them are the speech of Allah, they are equal. But in terms of the individual meanings of the different parts of the Qur'an. <coughs> so here then, we know that certain parts of the Qur'an are more virtuous than other parts because of their meanings. So it has been said, one of the people of knowledge has mentioned, كَلَامُ اللَّهِ فِي اللَّهِ أَفْضَلْ مِنْ كَلَامِهِ فِي غَيْرِهِ That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions to us about Himself, about his names, his attributes, then those ayat are greater in virtue from that respect than the ayat that are talking about the mushrikun, for example. And one of the specific examples of that is Surah Al-Ikhlas. Surah Al-Ikhlas, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ Allahu samad lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakul lahu kufuwan ahad. That is going to be better than tabbat yada abi lahabin wa tab. The chapter, Qul huwa Allahu ahad, is talking about the names and the attributes and the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas Tabbat Yada Abi is talking about the destruction of one of the Mushrikeen. 
So there's clearly a difference in the subject matter, in the topic that is being discussed in the two sections of the Qur'an. So it's important to remember that when we talk about some parts of the Qur'an being more virtuous than other parts, it is about the meanings, not in terms of the Qur'an itself. The Qur'an itself, all of it is the speech of Allah. All of it is equal in that virtue. But in the meanings of some verses, they are about Allah and the names and attributes of Allah. Whereas other verses are about Abu Lahab and the Mushrikun and the Hellfire. So there's a difference in the meanings of those ayat and the virtues are therefore uh, mentioned being different and higher and lower depending on those meanings of the different chapters and ayat. <coughs> From all of the chapters of the Qur'an, it is mentioned that the greatest chapter of the Qur'an is Surah Al-Fatiha. It is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ favored from all of the chapters of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Fatiha. وَأَخْبَرَ أَنَّهُ لَمْ يُنزَلْ فِي التَّوْرَاتِ وَلَا فِي الْإِنْجِيلِ وَلَا فِي الزَّبُورِ وَلَا فِي الْقُرْآنِ مِثْلُهَا And the Prophet ﷺ informed us that nothing has been revealed neither in the Torah or the Injil or the Zabur, the revelations that came before the Qur'an. Nothing was revealed in them or even in the rest of the Qur'an comparable to Al-Fatiha. Nothing was revealed in those previous books nor in the rest of the Qur'an even comparable to Al-Fatiha. And that's why there are different names for Surah Al-Fatiha. One of them is Ummul Qur'an, meaning the core of the Qur'an. And that is because all of the rest of the Qur'an revolves around and comes back around to the meanings that are in Surah Al-Fatiha. So when you think about Surah Al-Fatiha, and what Allah has told us in Surah Al-Fatiha, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, that all praise is to Allah, the Lord of all of mankind, all of creation. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Maliki Yawmiddin, the owner of the day of judgment. Iyaka na'abudu wa iyaka nasta'een. You alone we worship and you alone we seek aid and assistance from. All of these parts of Al-Fatiha, you can see how it's talking about the worship of Allah alone, the oneness of Allah, the rububiyyah of Allah, the uluhiyyah calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And then afterwards, later on, you make dua, asking Allah to keep you on the straight path. al-mustaqim. Guide us to the straight path and keep us to the straight path. The path of those that you blessed. So those are great and tremendous meanings 
making dua, asking for guidance, making dua, asking to be kept away from the misguided pathways of al-maghdubi alayhim and waladhalin of the ones who Allah's anger is upon and of those who are led astray, they went astray. So it is a great chapter of the Qur'an with great meanings in it. And it has been reported in, well, it's been mentioned in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah regarding the greatness of this particular chapter of the Qur'an. So for example, in Sahih al-Bukhari, from the hadith of Abu Sa'id, <coughs> and the hadith of Ubay, it is mentioned in those narrations, At-Tasrihu bi-annaha a'azamu suratin fil-Qur'an. In those narrations, it has been mentioned explicitly, clearly, that this chapter is the greatest chapter of the Qur'an. وَأَنَّهَا السَّبْعِ الْمَثَانِ وَالْقُرْآنُ الْعَظِيمِ And it is the seven examples and the great Qur'an. It's also mentioned in the hadith of al-Bukhari, of Abu Hurairah. He said that the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, that it is Ummul Qur'an. The Ummul Qur'an, it is the Al-Sab'ul Mathani, meaning Al-Fatiha. The Ummul Qur'an is Al-Fatiha. The core of the Qur'an, where all of the rest of the Qur'an returns back to and revolves around. Also, there are other great virtues of Surah Al-Fatiha compared to the rest of the chapters of the Qur'an. One of them is that your five daily prayers cannot be valid without Al-Fatiha. Al-Fatiha must be recited in the five daily prayers in every raka'ah. In the narrations, in the hadith, we are told, لَا صَلَاةَ لِمَنْ لَمْ يَقْرَأْ بِفَاتِحَةِ الْكِتَابِ There is no prayer for the one who does not recite Al-Fatiha. In every raka'ah, that chapter must be recited. In every prayer, in every raka'ah. In another narration it mentions that whoever doesn't read Al-Fatiha in the prayer, then his prayer is khidaj, meaning that his prayer is Incomplete. It is cut off, incomplete, imperfect. It's missing, deficient. Because he hasn't recited Al-Fatiha in the prayer. And that's mentioned in the hadith of Abu Huraira in Muslim. Man salla salatan lam yaqra fiha bi ummi al-Qur'an fahiya khidaj thalathan ghayru tam that whomsoever Prays a prayer but does not recite Al-Fatiha, the Umm Al-Quran in it, then it is Khidaj, meaning cut off. And he said that three times, it is imperfect, deficient. (coughs) The issue here is though, 
And the scholars, they mention this topic often, and people ask about it often, that are you supposed to recite Al-Fatiha behind the Imam in the prayer as well? Or do you not recite the Fatiha in that time? So what is the correct opinion or what is the fatwa regarding this situation? Do you recite the Fatiha or do you not? You do. So, mm. I think there's a difference of opinion in this one. There is. So, in order to understand this topic properly, you have to understand the <coughs> methods of praying. There are three different forms or situations when you pray. There are three different situations when you pray. One is that you are praying as the Imam. Maybe you are praying a prayer and you are the Imam and you're leading other people. That's one situation that you are praying as the Imam. The second situation is that you are praying as as the Ma'mum, one of the people in the congregation behind the Imam. You might just be one of the people in the jama'ah, in the congregation behind the imam. That's another situation. Third situation, you might be praying by yourself, not in congregation. Praying your sunnah by yourself. So there are three circumstances. You could either be praying and you're the imam yourself, leading everybody else when you're praying that prayer. Or you are just in the congregation, in the jama'ah behind the imam. Or you're praying by yourself, maybe a sunnah prayer or something, by yourself. No jama'ah, no, nobody else. In two of those situations, there is no difference of opinion. We've got three situations there now. In two of them, there is no difference of opinion. Which two is there no difference of opinion in? Which is what? When you are the Imam, when you are the Imam, there is no difference of opinion. You must recite Al-Fatiha. In the situation when you are praying by yourself, Sunnah or whatever, or even the actual prayer, you are late, so you're praying by yourself. When you're praying by yourself, no difference of opinion, you must Recite the Fatiha. So the difference of opinion only exists in one circumstance. And that is, when you are in the jama'ah, lined up with everybody behind the imam, being led by the imam. Should you now recite the Fatiha or not? Because obviously the imam's going to be reciting it. Should you recite it as well or not, if the imam is going to be reciting it? That's the difference of opinion. For the imam, no difference. He has to recite it. By yourself, you have to recite it. No prayer if you don't. But when you're in the jama'ah being led by the imam who is already reciting it anyway, then do you still have to recite it or not? So that's the question. Now what's the answer then? Isn't it the difference, difference of different opinion in there? Well, that if, like, uh, when Imam is reciting, <coughs> we can hear, 
then for those pairs, don't need to, but some says you have to always, regardless. Mm -hmm. So of course, yes, there are differences of opinion, and you could say there are three overall opinions. There are three overall opinions. Very basically, one opinion says, you must recite the Fatiha. Even if the Imam is leading and reading it, you still have to read it. That's one obvious opinion. The other obvious opinion is, some scholars say, you don't have to recite it. If the Imam is leading the prayer, He's doing it, he's reading it, and he's the imam, you're the jama'ah behind him. So you don't have to do it, he's doing the fatiha. You do the rest of the prayer, all the parts that you have to read. But the fatiha, the imam is doing it, so you don't have to do it. And there's one more opinion, we'll come back to that in a moment. So the reason why some of the scholars have the opinion that you must recite the fatiha, is because of these general narrations, one of them saying, La salata liman lam yaqra bifatihatil kitab. There is no prayer. Your prayer, gone, if you don't recite the Fatiha. Very clear evidence. There is no prayer for the one who does not recite the Fatiha. Does it say, unless you are being led by the Imam in the Hadith? Does it say that? No. No exception is given in the narration. Narration doesn't say that there is no prayer if you don't read the Fatiha unless you're in the Jama'ah and the Imam is leading you. It doesn't say that. Which means there's no exception. Even if you're in the Jama'ah behind the Imam, the Hadith still applies to you. So that is one general evidence some of the scholars use and they have others as well. That's one of the evidences they'll use to say, you have to recite the Fatiha even if the Imam is reciting it. The other opinion, some of the scholars, they say, no, you don't have to. Because there's a hadith of Abu Hurairah, where the Prophet ﷺ said, don't compete with the Imam. The Imam is doing the Fatiha, don't compete with him, meaning you're doing it as well and he's doing it. Be quiet and listen. When the Qur'an is being recited, then listen. Don't compete with the Imam. He's reading the Fatiha, you're reading your own Fatiha. You're not even listening to him. So they use that hadith and some other narrations as well to say that when the Imam is leading, you be quiet and listen, you don't read. Don't compete with the Imam and you're reading your own thing and he's reading his own thing. Be quiet and follow the Imam so you don't read them. The third opinion mentioned by Ibn Taymiyyah and others is what? What's the third opinion? Recite in the parts of the prayer that are quiet. You cannot hear the imam. But in the prayers where you can hear the imam, then you don't have to. So for example, in Fajr, would you have to or not? You wouldn't have to according to that opinion. But in Dhuhr and Asr, for example, you would have to because you can't hear the imam. Imam is doing the Fatiha, but you can't hear him. In Dhuhr, in Asr. So in that one, in those prayers, in the silent prayers, you have to do the Fatiha. But when you can hear the Imam in Fajr, for example, then you don't have to. That's the third opinion. 
And that's mentioned by some of the scholars. As Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentioned, he believes that's a, a reasonably balanced opinion. To read it when it's the quiet prayers and not to have to read it when it's the loud prayers. Of course, Al-Ahwat in fiqh, they call something the Ahwat opinion, meaning the opinion which you could phrase it as the opinion that covers all the bases. Which one of those three would be the opinion that covers all the bases? The third one, which was? So not to recite it when you can hear the imam, but to recite it when you cannot hear the imam. That's what you're saying. You're saying what? It's the one where you recite it all the time. You're saying it's the one where you recite it all the time. Anyone else? When you recite it all the time? I do, but... You do? <laughs> so the fatwa's there, we finished the lesson, that's it. <laughs> I do recite it. I think I have heard from different people. And then, then uh-huh. So the ahwat, what it means is, when they talk about the ahwat opinion, the, the encompassing opinion, it's the opinion where nobody else can attack you at a level whereby your worship can be considered invalidated. If you now take the opinion, the the opinion that you don't have to recite it at all, or even the opinion that in the quiet praise you don't have to recite it at all, the scholars who have the first opinion that you must recite on all occasions, at all costs, they will say your prayers are invalid. If you take the opinion that you don't have to recite at all, they say your prayers are all invalid. If you take the opinion, okay, I'll recite it in the quiet ones when I can't hear the imam, but not when I can hear him. They'll say, okay, the ones where you can hear him and you're not reciting, those prayers are invalid, they'll still say to you. Because as far as they are concerned, regardless of whether you can hear the imam, you have to recite. So if you don't recite under any excuse... As far as they are concerned, they're going to tell you your prayer is invalid. So what if you take that opinion and you recite in every single raka'ah? The scholars who took the opinion, no, you don't have to. If you tell them, but I did and I do. Are they going to say, well, if you recite the Fatiha when the Imam is reciting, your prayer is invalid? Are they going to say that? No, they don't. They'll say, no, you're doing something wrong, it's against the sunnah, you're not supposed to be reciting when the imam is. But they're not going to say your prayers invalid for doing it. Even the uh, scholars who took the opinion, in the loud prayers you don't have to, in the quiet prayers do, you tell them, but even in the loud ones I do. They're going to say, no, you're not supposed to do that because of these evidences, but they aren't going to say your prayers now invalid for doing it. So if you take the opinion of reciting every single time, it's the most encompassing opinion because the other opinions cannot invalidate your worship for it. Whereas if you take one of the other two opinions, these scholars will say it's invalid. So in terms of the ahwat, they call it the opinion whereby you're the safest. You're in the safest position. No scholars can say your worship is invalid or it's a batil or this or that. 
So in that circumstance, reciting it every time would be considered probably the ahwat opinion. But the evidences are strong for the other uh, opinions too. One of the issues that arises, before we get to that, what is the uh, correct opinion that everybody follows? Do you recite or not recite, or recite in the uh, quiet ones and not in the loud ones? Do you recite in every single one opinion on who takes that? What about you don't recite at all ever in the jama'ah? Even in the quiet prayers? Uh, because in South Asia, majority are Hanafis. So Hanafi people, uh, they don't uh, recite. They and what about the opinion reciting the uh, quiet ones not in the loud ones so it looks like the, the jumhur here the majority take the opinion that you have to recite every single time even when the imam is reciting so those people who take that opinion then they can now tell us when you're supposed to recite the fatiha now that you take the opinion, you have to recite it every single rak'ah, even in the ones where the imam is reciting. When the imam isn't reciting, obviously then you just read it. But when the imam is reciting, he's leading the prayer, reciting the fatiha. When are you supposed to recite your fatiha then? Okay. After the imam? So after each ayah, so Imam says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, you say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. He says, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, you say, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. One at a time. Yeah, but I don't know whether it's correct or not. Okay, one at a time. Uh-huh. If he's doing it slowly, you want time. If there's no space between them, then you do it after he finishes. So if the Imam recites one ayah at a time, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, then you can say Alhamdulillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim You can keep up one at a time Because the Imam is reciting one ayah at a time As the Prophet used to do So that's possible Possible If the Imam is reciting slowly Breaking it up one ayah at a time Every time he finishes an ayah You can say your part But what if MashaAllah some of the Imams One breath The whole of Fatiha Especially Taraweeh Whole of Fatiha and Baqarah one breath <laughs> so then, if it's gonna be like that, you're saying recite it when he finishes the Fatiha. Waladhalin <coughs> Amin. Now you can, you got a chance now to do the Fatiha. No, forget Taraweeh. Normal prayer now. Oh, no. huh? okay. But before we get to those Imams, let's talk about an Imam who is after the Fatiha. He's gonna give you a chance. He's gonna recite some ayat. You've got a chance. But if you start reciting after he finishes, so you're going to be reciting your Fatiha and the Imam's going to be reciting some other chapters of the Quran which you are ignoring now. That's some what you are. Huh? Some Imams they give a pause after Surah Fatiha. Some Imams That's give a pause name. after Surah Al Fatiha, give you the chance That's to recite. Chance, yeah. And which hadith have they used as an evidence to give you a pause after the Fatiha? <laughs> there is none. There is none. So this is one of the issues the scholars have mentioned, that if you take the opinion, it's every rak'ah, which is the very strong, strong opinion. That if you take that opinion, one issue that does exist, which isn't clear, is when you're supposed to recite it. 
If the imam recites slowly and carefully like we said, then it's okay. After each ayah, you do your ayah. But we know hardly any imams do that. These days, no imams do that. These days, mashallah, everything together. So then there's a problem. If you're going to do it at the end, the imam's reciting the Qur'an, you're not listening to him reciting the Qur'an. He could be reciting al-ikhlas after that, you're not even listening to that, you're doing your fatiha. And like the brother said, maybe the imam, maybe he does, إِنَّا He finishes and go to ruku, you're still doing your fatiha. Lots of problems, they come up, and there's no real answer. So, uh, also, uh, also the hadith where if you join the ruku, your raka'ah is accepted, but you haven't recited fatiha. That's another issue. That's about whether al-fatiha, we know fatiha is a rukun of the prayer, a pillar of the prayer. So imagine you come into the mosque late and the imam, he's just finished everything, finished the fatiha, finished the surah, and he says, Allahu Akbar, and they're going into ruku'ah. So you catch them just in the ruku'ah. That raka'ah, you never recited fatiha, you never even heard the imam recite the fatiha, even if you take that opinion. Nothing at all. You didn't recite it, you didn't hear him recite it, nothing. Missed the fatiha altogether. Have you caught that raka'ah, does it count or not? At the end, do you have to repeat that one or did it count? Counts. 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 So how can it count? How can you have this contradiction? One minute you're telling me you have to recite Fatiha every raka'ah. Now all of a sudden you're telling me you can miss it altogether and the raka'ah counts. That's all the Prophet is saying. There is a hadith, I think. The Prophet did that. So that's, that, that's the end of it. But if you take the opinion you have to recite Fatiha in every raka'ah, then how can you possibly say that raka'ah counts if you catch it in the ruku'ah? You haven't recited Fatiha. You haven't even heard the Imam recite the Fatiha. How can that ruku'ah, if you catch it there, how can that possibly count then? Technically, if you take the opinion you have to recite Fatiha in every raka'ah, it shouldn't count. Should it? So now do you want to review your fatwa and change your fatwas? The ones who said that you have to recite the Fatiha in every raka'ah, does it count or not if you catch the ruku'ah? Really, upon that opinion, it doesn't. And that's why some scholars do say that. They say, no, it doesn't. You have to repeat that raka'ah. But the issue with that is there are some hadith. There are some narrations like the hadith of Abu Bakrah. Not Abu Bakrah Siddiq. Another companion, Abu Bakrah. One time he came to the mosque and the Prophet ﷺ and the jama'ah, they were in ruku'ah. So he, you know, in the, in, in the olden days, the way they used to build the mosques, the entrance was always at the back. These days, because buildings aren't purposely designed as mosques, the Muslims buy different buildings and you have to just work it out where it is and where the doors are. But in the olden days, when they built the mosques, purpose-built mosques, the imam at the front, all the rows and the entrance always at the back. There's no point having the entrance here or here and then you're going to come and the rows are in front of you. Always at the back. So then you come in and join the row wherever it is. So on one occasion, one of the companions came in from the entrance and the jama'ah was going on. And they were in ruku'ah. So there were a few rows here at the front of the mosque, the imam at the front, a few rows, the door at the back, he came in, they were all in ruku'ah. So what did he do? As soon as he came in from the door and he saw them in ruku'ah, right there, he said, Allahu Akbar, and went into ruku'ah from the back. And then he walked up in ruku'ah and joined up with the line, the, the last line where it was. So then after the prayer, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, 
Zadakallahu hirsan wa la ta'ud. May Allah increase you in your enthusiasm. That as soon as he came in, he thought straight away, let me just go into the prayer before even getting to the row. May Allah increase you in your enthusiasm. But don't uh, go back to that again. Don't do that again. So what does this hadith mean? Some people think it means the Prophet was telling him, don't do that again, don't go into the rukuah like that before you get to the row. It doesn't count. But the Prophet didn't mean that. If the Prophet ﷺ meant that, he would have told him, get up and repeat one more rak'ah. If the Prophet meant, don't do that, because it doesn't count like that, then he would have told him, repeat one rak'ah. The Prophet never told him to repeat any rak'ah, which means his rak'ah counted. And he caught it in the ruku'ah, even before the line even. But in the ruku'ah, he caught it in the ruku'ah, and the Prophet never told him to repeat that rak'ah. Proving that him catching it in the ruku'ah meant he had caught the rak'ah. So that is one of the main proofs to highlight. If you catch the prayer in the ruku'ah, you've caught it. But the problem is, the scholars who say you must recite Fatiha in every rak'ah, what are you going to do now? So as Shaykh al said, that would be considered as one of the exceptional situations where no Fatiha has been read in that rak'ah, but it still counts. It would be an exceptional situation according to Shaykh al Other scholars, they say no, they say no, the Prophet meant something else. Because in the hadith it also mentions that Abu Bakr had run to the mosque. He was late for the prayer that day. He'd run to the mosque. So some of the scholars they say when the Prophet said to him, don't do that again, he meant don't run to the mosque. Nothing to do with the ruku' and the rak'ah, but it was about running to the mosque. So there are some other explanations as well. But that then, the strongest opinion would be that if you catch the ruku' you have caught the rak'ah. So those are three opinions anyway about the recitation of Al-Fatiha. The recitation of Al-Fatiha. And one of them is in every rak'ah, but then you have to work out how and when. The other opinion, you don't have to recite it at all. And then the opinion that Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned and Shaykh Hawzan said it is a balanced opinion, is the opinion that you recite it in the quiet ones, but you don't have to recite it in the loud uh, raka'at because there are narrations that the qira'atul imam qira'atun lahu the recitation of the imam is recitation for him for the one being led by him there's a narration the recitation of the imam is recitation for you which shows that if the imam is reading the fatiha it's covering you you don't have to read the fatiha then so there are some differences on that and like we said the ahwat the most encompassing and the safest opinion, as they say, would be that you just recite it. But then there is the issue, of course, of when and how you're going to recite it. Maybe, but uh, the scholars in that situation, they say the Qira'atul Imam, Qira'ah, Qira'ah is something which occurs verbally. There's no, it doesn't mean qira'ah in the mind. We know that the recitation of the prayer is something which occurs verbally. 
Just like when they say the qira'ah of the Qur'an to get 10 rewards for every letter, if verbally you move your lips and you speak, not in your mind. So they will say that the qira'ah here is that which can be heard. The qira'ah of the imam that can be heard by you, then that is qira'ah for you. But if you cannot hear it at all, then it is not qira'ah for you. They'll give explanations of that nature. There's a lot more evidences. We haven't mentioned them. This isn't actually the topic of today. That's in fiqh. You do a lot more details about the uh, subject and the evidences about it. But that is just generally some of the topics on that issue. So the point was, the point we were on was regarding Al-Fatiha being the greatest chapter of the Qur'an and one of the reasons or one of the evidences for it being the greatest chapter of the Qur'an is that no prayer is valid without it. No prayer is valid without it. In all three of those circumstances, when you're by yourself, you have to read it. When you're the imam, you have to read it. And when you're in the congregation behind the imam, your prayer still isn't valid without the Fatiha. Because you're still going to either, upon one opinion, be hearing the imam's Fatiha, or you're going to be reciting it yourself. So there's still a Fatiha involved, whether you're reading it yourself or you're hearing it from the imam. So every prayer requires Al-Fatiha, and this indicates one of the great virtues of Surah Al-Fatiha. <coughs> also in Al-Fatiha, Ibn Al-Qayyim, Rahimahullah Ta'ala mentioned that one of the virtues of Al-Fatiha is that within it you have several names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Several of the names of Allah are mentioned in Surah Al-Fatiha. The first one is, before that, Alhamdulillahi, Allah, Rabbil Alameen, then Rabb, Malik, even, Maliki Yawmiddin. And then also before that, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. So there are multiple names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, and those names indicate the various attributes. Allah indicates Al-Uluhiyyah, singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with worship. Ar-Rabb indicates Ar-Rububiyyah, singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with lordship, meaning his actions. His action of creating and providing and sustaining and giving life and death. And Al-Fatiha, the scholars have said, it combines between fear and hope. We know that all of our worship, it is based upon and balanced upon fear and hope. Love, fear and hope. The two wings of the bird, fear and hope. How does Fatiha combine between fear and hope? Anyone? How does Al-Fatiha combine between fear and hope? Which parts give the give us the exact ayahs as the answer? That's a bit too general. There are specific ayat that talk about mercy and specific ayat that talk about the fear. 
The scholars they say in the section right at the beginning, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. The names of Allah indicating mercy. So they indicate to you hope. Maliki Yawmiddin, the owner of the day of judgment who will hold everybody's accountability, therefore indicates to you some fear. And therefore with those two, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. Hope and fear. Both of them together, as is the way of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, balancing all of the worship upon hope and fear and love. Unlike the Khawarij who went to the extreme in fear, unlike the Murji'ah who went to extreme in hope, unlike the Sufiya who went into the extreme with love. So they went into imbalance, extreme on certain affairs, but Ahlul Sunnah balance between those affairs and it is there to be seen in Al-Fatiha that you recite in every prayer. So that is where we'll conclude for today then. Next week it is actually on the Ayatul Kursi. Next chapter here is regarding Ayatul Kursi. Everybody knows Ayatul Kursi. Allahu la ilaha illahul hayyul qayyum. You're supposed to recite it after the prayers before you go to sleep. A great, great section of the Quran. Next week we'll have a look at the meanings of Ayatul Kursi. What are the meanings of Ayatul Kursi? Uh, what do they indicate to us? Why do you recite it when you go to sleep after the prayers? How many times a day are you supposed to recite it? Everybody should know these basics about Ayatul Kursi. That's what we'll do next week, inshallah. Any questions then before we conclude today? Hmm. That's a full lecture. The reciting of the Bismillah when the Imam leads the prayer, should he say the Bismillah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, should we hear the Bismillah from the Imam? There is a lot of explanation about that in the chains of narration about the Ahadith, the Asanid. In the chains of narration, there's a lot of difference that comes from that. Is it authentic, the narrations? Are they not authentic? Many of the narrations are not authentic about the Imam reciting Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim out loud. Obviously, some of the madhahib, they do that. Is it uh, the Shafi'i madhab, I think? The Bismillah is loud. But the issue of that is all about the hadith. That topic... If you look at the chains of narration and you draw the map, you know, you've seen the maps of hadith and the lines and the people's names. When you do all of those chains of narration, there are a lot of issues to be discussed in those chains of narrations. It's all about the authenticity of the hadith. So there are some levels of authenticity which indicate maybe the imam could recite it. But there are many issues in those narrations that would indicate the imam doesn't recite it. But like I say, if you want to discuss all of that, to get to the conclusion, it, it's not even one lecture. In the university, we did maybe four or five lectures on just that. When you do the basmillah, the basmala, 
at the beginning or not. It was maybe three, four lectures with all these pictures and chains and hadith and here and there to get to the conclusion. If you want, I'll bring it next time. The same thing uh, you find, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Surah Al-Fatiha, is number one, but you will not find it in other surahs. Mm-hmm. When you start, there's no number one. This is the evidence, or, or, or some of the evidences that I used. Uh, but uh, many of the scholars, they hold the opinion, and the jumhur of the scholars, that the basmala is an ayah mustaqillah. Ayuh, that's what the majority, jumhur, qawlu jumhur. Can you read Surah Fatiha before the Imam, uh, if Imam is reciting loudly? Before the Imam? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about reciting it before the Imam. Like I said, in that opinion, there is no proven method of doing it. But before, uh, maybe best not to do it before because of the general narrations about not going ahead of the Imam. Mm. Uh, I mean, personally, uh, from the opinions that are there, the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah is a reasonable opinion because there are many evidences that indicate you don't do it. You can't just ignore all of them. You can't just ignore them and say, but you know, it's the safest opinion just to recite it. There are many evidences, many hadith that indicate you don't. So that's why Shaykh Fawzan said it seems like a very balanced opinion, the opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah. But despite that, you have to say the safest opinion is to recite. You have to say the safest one is to recite in every rak'ah. Because that is the one which gets you out of the problems. The other opinions, they won't tell you your praise is invalid for reciting it. But if you don't, then the other scholars will tell you your praise is invalid for not reciting it. So, hmm. uh, is there any evidence uh, from the companions of Rasulullah uh, or the Tabayin or uh, the Taba Tabayin, what their actions were? Uh, what were their actions during the prayer? I mean, did, did they uh, recite what were their but this is the problem, because that is something which is not witnessed. You can't witness that. You, when you recite, you're reciting it to yourself quietly. It's not something witnessed. So there aren't <coughs> any specific narrations. Even if there were, in a situation like this, it's not conclusive. It's not conclusive on that topic about the recitation behind the imam. If you were to catch, for example, uh, the imam was doing a witty well, according to the opinion of catching the ruku'ah, you've caught the raka'ah. Upon that opinion, the raka'ah counts. It's the same in Jum'ah. If you come to the Jum'ah prayer and you miss the whole of the first raka'ah, you missed the khutbah, you came late, the first raka'ah, you missed it, they're in the second raka'ah. And he goes into ruku' just as you come in. And you catch the second ruku' with the imam. So now you've caught the Jumu'ah prayer. You just have to get up and pray one more. But if you arrive in the mosque and he's just coming out of the second ruku' Sami'allahu liman hamida is coming out of the second ruku' and you just come in and join there. You've missed both ruku' first and second one. Now you've missed Jumu'ah. You carry on with him now, carry on. But when you get up, you're going to pray. Four, four. You've missed Jumu'ah. If you miss the second ruku'ah, you haven't caught the Jumu'ah prayer. Don't think, well, I've caught it. He hasn't given salam yet. You missed the second ruku'ah. You have to get up now and pray. Four. Carry on with him. 
until you give salam, but when you stand up, you're praying for now, dhuhr. You've missed the Jum'ah prayer. What if you catch the ruku' and while you're going to ruku', the imam comes up to, you're confused whether you actually call the ruku' or not. So if you're confused, then the principle in fiqh is that you build upon the yaqeen. So if you don't know for certain if you've caught it or not, and you're in doubt and it's a gray area, then you missed it. Hmm. Anything else? They mentioned the seven ayat. I'm sorry because I just Yeah, the seven ayat, Sabah Mathani, they mentioned the seven parables or the seven examples, the seven ayat. That's one explanation of it. There is no prayer for the one who doesn't recite the Fatiha, then how can there possibly be any other opinions you want to say? No, I mean, there's no opinions. Does each rak'ah necessarily have to have a fatiha, or is it one fatiha for the whole salah? No, uh, the, fa- the, the fatiha, the asal of it is in every rak'ah, the hadith cannot mean just once in the whole prayer. But also, that hadith doesn't necessarily mean that your prayer is invalid. When you get narrations saying there is no prayer for the one who does not recite the Fatiha to Kitab, there is no such and such for the one who does not do this or that, it doesn't necessitate that it's talking about the invalid or, or the, uh, uh, the fact that the prayer is now invalid. It doesn't mean necessarily the prayer is invalid. The la in Arabic in those circumstances can indicate perfection. So there is no perfect prayer for the one who doesn't recite the Fatiha to Kitab. That's the ones who uh, hold the opinion, you don't have to recite it, we'll say that there is la salata in perfection for the one who does not recite the Fatiha to Kitab. So sometimes those narrations when it says there is no such and such for the one who doesn't do this or that, doesn't mean it's finished, dead, invalid. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it can just mean there is no perfect prayer or wudu or this or that if you don't do this or that. But in the wording of Arabic, it will just say la such and such. And in English, they'll just say there is no prayer. But the explanation can be there is no perfect prayer or no complete prayer and it could mean there is no absolute prayer, invalid. It could mean that. But it could also mean the other things too. Is it obligatory to take a sutra while you're praying? It's obligatory to take the sutra when you're praying. Those narrations are in the command form. It's, a, it's an amr from the Prophet ﷺ to have a sutra when you are praying. Uh, so you should have a sutra. The sutra can, it only has to be in the hadith it mentions, you know, on a horse. When you put the saddle on the horse and the back of the saddle... There's a bit that sticks up where you can sit on. How much is that about? From your elbow to your hand. That's how tall the sutra has to be, just a small amount. And in terms of width, nothing. It can be thin. It doesn't have to be a big thing. And, uh, leg, the leg of a table, that's a sutra. Stand right behind this, that's a sutra for you. It doesn't have to be a big thing, a big whatever. And some of the scholars, they say, if you use a chair, some of the scholars, they say, like Sheikh Al-Albani, if you use a chair, don't stand in the middle of the chair. Because in the middle of the chair, there's no sutra. There's just a gap all the way through. The sutra has to be something starting from the ground upwards. From the ground upwards. If you stand in the middle of the chair, there's nothing in the ground going upwards. Halfway up, you've got something. 
than the back of the chair. But that back of the chair, halfway up, isn't touching the ground. So that's not a sutra. Only the leg parts are the sutra. The leg parts going up are the sutra. From the ground up, the sutra has to be. So Shaykh Al-Bani said, if you use a chair, stand near the leg, in front of the leg, not in the middle of the chair. Does the wall count? Wall is a sutra, no problem. A wall is a sutra, a person is a sutra, anything. Anything in front of you can be a sutra, a, a, some type of block, some type of object of that small nature, which prevents uh, somebody walking in between you and that sutra. Is it best to always take with the opinion? Take what? Uh, well, not necessarily. Sometimes you may look at the evidences and something looks extremely strong. Even though it's not the ahwat. It may look extremely strong with the evidences, so so be it. It's not a necessity. If, if it was the case that you should always take the ahwat, then the scholars would have been the first people to do that. We'd never have any difference of opinion or anything. Everybody would have agreed and had consensus every time on the ahwat opinion. So it's not like that. Sometimes the other opinions have strong evidences. Such that the scholars, they say, okay, yes, maybe in terms of the whole situation, that one's ahwat, but the evidences here are so strong, there's no reason for us to go to that. We are convinced this is correct. Mm. All right, we'll leave it on that for today. We'll resume next week, inshallah, at the same time. Just one question. You know, when you mentioned about, uh, in the Jummah period, the second Al-Qa, mm. uh, you look up, you look up and you missed the Jummah. Mm. Do you still get the reward for the Jummah for making the intention to make them, to get them on time Allah alam, it does not appear that you get the reward for having fulfilled Jumu'ah. You haven't fulfilled Jumu'ah. What about if it's Isha and you get to like Isha Salat, there's four rakats, and you get to the, you miss the fourth. You miss the fourth ruku'ah, yeah. then you miss the jama'ah. You have missed the jama'ah. You're going to get up now, you stay with the imam then, until he finishes the tashahud, give salam, and then get up and you're going to pray a full four Isha rakat. So you've technically missed the jama'ah. Inshallah, you get some reward for being in the jama'ah near the end. But overall, you've missed the jama'ah. What about the janazah prayer? Uh, like you said about Surah Fatiha, same kind of thing. You know, when you, you miss a prayer like two rak'at, then you get up at the end and you pray two rak'at. In the janazah, there are the four parts, the takbirat, and you read something in between for each one. If you come in halfway through, they've done the first two takbirat. So you join in. And when he gives a salam, you're going to do another two takbirat at the end. Just carry on from where he, you started. If you missed the first tak, uh, two takbirat, for example, and you joined in, then when he gives salam, don't give salam. Carry on and do your next two takbirat, then give salam. Finish off normally how you would catch up another prayer. What about the fact that some, some people that don't even read a surah fatiha this janazah prayer? No, then it's a problem. If he catches the prayer after the fatiha, and then he doesn't recite it at all himself either, then it's an issue. Like the Hanafi, they don't, pray, they don't normally pray the Surah Fatiha. The, the Hanafi opinion, because in the, in the Quran it says, فَقْرَ مَا تَيَسَّرَ مِنْهُ Recite that which is easy for you from it. That's a very, very general evidence. Recite that which is easy for you from the Quran. مَا تَيَسَّرَ لَكَ but we have so many specific evidences about the Fatiha, not just generally. That's why the scholars, the other scholars, the uh, other opinions, they don't take the opinion you can just recite anything. You have to recite the Fatiha. And because when a Muslim or new Muslim doesn't know the Fatiha, there's a hadith about the alternative that he has to read instead. And it's not just anything in the Quran, it is a specific alternative to the Fatiha. So that's why it's not a very strong opinion to miss the Fatiha and just read anything else. 
It's not a strong opinion at all. Because that evidences and those evidences are very general. These evidences that the other scholars are using are very specific about the Fatiha and the reading of the Fatiha. Those other ones, you know, read what is easy for you, etc. The general ayat, general evidences about reading what is easy for you. And even reading what is easy for you. For the Muslims, what is easier than Fatiha? Is there any Muslim who finds anything else in the Quran easier than Fatiha? Kids learn Fatiha, they're two years old. So even if you use the Hanafi uh, uh, position of the ease, there is nothing easier than Fatiha anyway. Alright, we'll conclude upon that for today then. We'll carry on next week, same time, 8.30, inshallah ta'ala.